0: A bigger pizza pie that's for
1: Blue line, long shot, scored. That went in off the post, I believe. The shot from the point. The Bruins have taken the lead. Here's Carlo gets the puck. The shot's taken. And it goes off the man that and has got tied up. And let's see, that's Krejci. Yeah. And he's the one that's going to deflect this puck up and underneath the bar. And this gives the Boston Bruins an early lead here. that's Krejci's fourth goal of the season. Marchand knocks down Ristolainen's pass, here's Pasternak down the slot, saved by Leonard, the backhand
0: rebound Bergeron, it pops up right through the crease, and Bergeron knocks it in the back door.
1: Sick or not, the Bruins are ahead 2-0 on a sick effort by Patrice Bergeron. Oh, this puck is going to be
0: turned over just inside the Bruins offensive blue line, and Pasternak is
1: going to jump on it. Marshan forces the turnover, Passanac jumps on it, gets a pretty good wrist shot away as you take a little, a look at the little extra curriculum. And
0: Leonard's going to make a good blocker save, and then the puck's going to be in the air. After the backhand rebound attempt right there by Bergeron, I was wondering if they were going to call a hand All
2: right. We kind of missed the cutoff there on the uh, the Pasta song. But, I, I, you know, Joe Haggerty's probably sitting like, what the heck are they playing here as I come on to the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire? Jimmy Murphy, your host. Uh, Timmy Button's working the boards there. And, and, Joe, that has got to be David Parsonick's new goal song.
0: <laughs> pasta,
2: pasta, pasta, pasta.
0: <laughs> they got to do it. It would, be, it would be a big hit in the North End, that's for sure, Marv. Yes, it would. <laughs>
2: You know, we can we can we can get like an Italian restaurant to sponsor it or something. I I think I think we we're on to something here, man. You're gonna have to run it by well, uh,
0: Wednesday night is David Pasternak Pasta Night. There go we go,
2: there we go. Forget Rivalry Night. We got Pasta Night in Boston for David Pasternak, <laughs> and uh, of course he helped set up that uh, what proved to be the winning goal there with uh, Patrice Bergeron, and he is off to a great start. Amazingly, Joe. And I get it, you know, and they make things, these things up probably before the season even starts. But he's not on the all-star ballot there, but I would imagine he is going to get some write-ins there uh, from a lot of Bruins fans, huh?
0: I'm sure he will, but you also know as well as I do that the NHL, when it comes to a lot of that stuff like that, they catch up like the year after they should, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's Like a, a player's deserving of an award... Uh, when they really break out one year and they invariably never get it that year, it's like the year afterwards they finally get it because people have caught on and they're recognizing what happened the year before. And uh, I, I would expect he's going to get a lot of write ins, but I also um, think he's not, you know, he's not going to for some reason, he's not considered in the same class as like, you know, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, some of these other young superstars that people are so enamored with and, and want to turn into like kind of the, the poster boys of the NHL right now. You know, people forget this kid's 20 years old. He's still a young gun just like the rest of those guys, just as exciting. Uh, the talent level is pretty close. And, you know, he, he he deserves all the consideration in the world for what he's done because, you know, he's carried the Bruins' offense so far this season.
2: He really has. You know what I'm thinking is you were saying that, and I'm, I'm thinking back to, I forget the years they did it, but it, it was, you know, early on in our uh, media careers uh the league was doing that young guns game do you remember that
0: yeah he would have he would have been perfect Montreal. for that
2: yeah he would have been perfect for that eh
0: yeah yeah i obviously he would have been great for that that's you know right up his alley and it, it would have been entertaining just in general to have something oh, like yeah. that uh just given the young talent that's in the league right now the exciting offensive talent i mean I, to be honest with you like i would if they wanted to turn the all-star game into a rematch or into a match of you know, the the under-20 team against Team Canada, uh, of some version of those two rosters going against each other in the All-Star game. Mm. I think people would much rather see that than whatever they're actually going to throw out there, uh, you know, in in the uh, three-on-three or four-on-four, or whatever they decide to do this year.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to sell the game. And like you say, I mean, I get they've got their designated poster childs, like you said, like the McDavid's, the Matthews, the Eichels. I get that. That's fine. But... You know, don't let these guys get lost in the traffic there because, I mean, there's a lot of players like Pasternak that don't get the recognition and maybe people don't know about that, you know, say in four years are going to be at that elite level, but maybe, you know, they won't get the reception they should. So it's something to think about there. And you look at, hey, look at the way North America took over the World Cup. I mean, that that was the That's team. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. No, nobody cared about the other teams. They're like, this is the team,
0: man. Was... That's what I'm saying. Or put put Team North America or the closest you can get to it roster wise uh, against uh, another Team Canada uh, type roster yeah. in the All Star game, and that would become must see TV, and everybody would watch that because they never got to see it uh, in the World Cup because that matchup never materialized. And I think you know it's too late in the game. I think to try to do that this year, but. It speaks to how uh, Team North America really captured the imagination of everybody.
2: For sure. Hey, Joe, uh, quickly, um, I, w- I don't want to forget, uh, and we'll get back to the Bruins in a second, but we just had Eric Joyce, the assistant general manager of the Florida Panthers, on. He's more like the GM now because Tom Rowe's down behind the bench. Uh, and he was, he was really, I'll give him credit. I mean, I, I still don't necessarily agree with the firing of Gerard Gallant, but uh, he was very honest with us. And, and you know, he, he is part of that decision-making team that, that led to that decision to fire Gallant, you know, owned the decision and, and you know, didn't back away from any of my questions um, regarding that. And I haven't really got a chance to talk to you about that, but he was very adamant to get it out there that, look, this isn't necessarily about analytics versus old school as it's been painted uh, in the media, uh, this was just about philosophy and our general philosophy. Whether that philosophy leans a little more towards analytics than than the human eye, then so be it. But he said we still use both, and it just our philosophy wasn't mixing with gallants. That being said, um, I think there still is kind of a a, a pull there and a, a give and take and a fine balance that the teams are still trying to to find and, and I wonder you know let's look at kind of apply that to the Bruins right now and do you think from what you've seen since Don Sweeney has taken over are you seeing it lean more towards analytics more towards, towards old school or a blend of both
0: yeah and and uh, first what you were saying about the Panthers the I, I appreciate where Eric Joyce is coming from you know him I know him you know he, I think he's a, a a very talented rising star in the, in the uh, front office ranks in the yep. NHL. and uh, He's done some very good things. But, like, you know, that's kind of semantics if you're saying we we didn't necessarily make this move because of analytics and stats when I, I think it did play into, you know, if it's a coach that's not friendly towards that stuff or it's a coach that ignores some of it or, you know, there was a disagreement about philosophy. It, it certainly, I think, has something to do uh, with the direction that they're going in, as far as the analytics and the advanced stats, and you know, there's really besides that, I don't think there's much of an explanation for getting rid of the coach that guided you to the best uh, regular season that you've had in franchise history last year, and you know, revamping a defense that that helped you get there as well, and and completely changing it out and making it look different. You know, <laughs> I and I was just on XM radio talking about the Panthers as well, and just saying that. You know, maybe they know something that we don't know. Maybe they are reinventing the wheel in the NHL, and, you know, maybe they're going to have all kinds of success uh, with this kind of, with kind of stuff. But uh, they're going all in with it, and they're making a lot of decisions based on it. And they're going to be judged rightly or wrongly by, you know, what happens next. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of it with Gallant was about. Uh, He's got a lot of friends in the hockey world, and a lot of people respect yeah. him, and he's yeah. very well He's part of the
2: good old boy network, for sure.
0: Yeah, so there was a big backlash as, as far as that goes. But I also think just the way they did it, the timing of it, all that stuff played into it as well. And that was made right. it pretty
2: easy. I didn't like it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it made, made it pretty easy for a lot of people to be critical of what they did. But, hey, if they go out and they have a great rest of the regular season and they take a long run into the playoffs and they've built something that's going to last for five or ten years because they've locked all these players up, then they're going to look like the ones that knew something when everybody else didn't. And they're going to be proven right uh, by all the decisions that they make. And, and you know, they deserve the time uh, to either show they know what they're doing or show that uh, they've got a few things to learn. And, and maybe they were a little too reliant on one thing or another. Uh, but as far as the Bruins go, I, I, you know, I think you see some of it certainly with the shot totals. You know, I think you've seen a lot of shots thrown at the net from the Bruins. I think mm-hmm. their is is among the best in the league, if not the best. And, you know, they've they've possessed the puck quite a bit. Now, they're 24th in the league in offense. They have not turned the, that puck possession into goals. And a lot of those shots, uh, I think, come from the outside rather than getting into quality chances. They're going to end up in the back of the net. So right. I, I think they're friendlier to that degree. And maybe uh, because you're heavy on shots on net, you take players that settle for perimeter shots rather than drive into the middle of the net and getting into the danger areas. And, you know, this might be part of the the, the checks and balances uh, with the stats versus the eyeball stuff when it comes to players. But, yeah, I, I do think they've embraced some of the advanced stats. But, I, you know, with Don Sweeney's GM and Cam Neely as president, a couple of ex-players, you're always going to see a balance between the two. I don't think you're ever going to see them completely uh, embrace, uh, you know, to a fault uh, advanced stats and analytics like uh, maybe the Panthers are doing. Joe, I
2: mean, you know, I'm, I, I've been in hockey media, you've been in hockey media, and I, I – Try to learn as much as I can about it, but I'm always sort of going to lean more towards what I see in, you know, just the human element of it than more the yeah. the stats of it. But we see now, I mean, you know, more so from the millennial generation, it's, it's coming about in our media business that they're leaning towards that a lot. And that's how they're writing their stories. And, you know, I'm not writing anymore on a regular basis under an editor, so to speak, but I wonder... I mean, are you sensing at all that that they're expecting that more from you and your writing at all? Or is that, you know, hockey's not exactly that popular in terms of the four major sports, so you don't have to worry about that?
0: I just don't think it speaks to the masses, whether it's millennial or not. I think there's a section of people, some very smart kids and smart young people, Um, and and older people, too. Some some people our age are even super into the advanced stats and the analytics. And, hey, I I had the Bill James Handbook, too, when I was a kid in 1987 and was into it with the baseball stuff, the baseball abstract books, and and loved all that stuff and and certainly have an appreciation for it, you know, going all the way back to then when I was just a, a kid loving baseball and hockey. But, you know, I think some of it is just, People trying to show off how smart they are, or people, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get jobs in the NHL by Mm -hmm. writing these stories using all these advanced stats. And I think a lot of it is self-serving and uh, and self-aggrandizing, and is about themselves. It isn't about providing something that a lot of people want to read. Because I'm going to be honest with you, like it's (laughs) never going to change that people get into sports to get away from their real lives, to get away from the real world, to get away from math classes and bar graphs and <laughs> mathematical charts and, like, all that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like most people are into sports. The vast majority of people are into sports to get away from that stuff because they want to watch the game. Yeah. They don't want you to tweet out some picture of a bar graph saying how unbelievable a player is playing with his puck possession in the first period. It's like, who cares? I can look at the stat sheet and see that he had five shot attempts in the first period, and he was good. I don't need you to... Throw out the mathematical charts with all the different colors to, to, to you know to make me get all excited about it. And I, I to be honest with you, I just don't get uh, the the people uh, that get super excited about that stuff and, and feel like you know that they're sharing with the rest of the world something that they all want to read. I, people, most people, when you start talking about Fenwick and Corsi and CF percentage, whatever the hell that is, and all this other stuff. Their eyes glaze over, and they want to move on as soon as possible. I just don't think they care, and I don't think that's going to change because I think it's a very small faction of the hockey community that is super into this, and, and like I said, I think most of them are doing what they're doing because they want to try to get hired by an NHL team.
2: Yeah, you know what I think tells it all, Joe, is you know, you've been in scrums with me there, and you'll have one of these younger reporters come up and start cranking out those stats or these, these terms at the player <laughs> and the player's looking at him like he's a Martian, you know? Like, what? Like, <laughs> Give me a... Like, what are you talking about? Like, You know? And, and no matter what, these players, they just play. Yeah, they're going to be told that by coaches, and they're going to get that stuff pointed out to them in meetings and stuff, but when it comes down yeah. to it, they're, they're just out to play there, and they want a reporter that's going to come up and talk to them like they're a human being, not a robot, you know? And, and I, I just... I don't Well, talk to them about game situations, yeah, too, like, and decisions like life. they made or
0: stuff that they did. Yeah, yeah
2: reality. Like, I mean, and I just, I, I don't think that these, these I don't say they're kids, but these younger adults, I don't think these ones using this, they don't get that. And, and they, they don't get why the player looks at them and kind of says, yeah, yeah, and goes on to the next in, uh, question. Because they just want to talk hockey. And talking hockey to them, like you said, isn't being back in school in math class. It's talking well, hockey.
0: Murph, Murph, let's be honest. You've seen these kids, and I've seen these kids that do, that are into the fancy stats. How many? How much of a percentage of them actually played sports? <laughs> to be honest,
2: yeah, There you go.
0: Like they, they, that part of it, they don't get because they've <laughs> never actually played, and they don't understand like how much of it there is to that. You know, just being on the ice and actually making the plays, as opposed to explaining it away with a mathematical formula or percentage. You know, I think it's it's a way. That a certain level of fans who has a, a vast understanding of math and statistical probability and all this other stuff, you know, found a way to get in and, and to get their stuff paid attention to and, and found a niche uh, for them to belong to. But, you know, I, I don't think a lot of them have even close to the understanding of uh, getting the game from an eyeball level and understanding the game uh, that somebody that's played or coached or, or lived it for 30 years has. It's just, they're not going to be able to do it.
2: Yeah. I'm with you on that. Well, listen, uh, great stuff there, Hags. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, my friend, and uh, I'll see you soon, all right?
0: You got it, buddy. All
2: got right. You, Joe Haggerty of Comcast Sports New England joining us here on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. Some interesting stuff, man. And, like, you you know, we see that it's a it's a growing debate at the managerial level in hockey and the coaching levels. But it's also in the media, too, where we're, we're buttonheads heads uh, over this stuff as well, over analytics and old school. So, hey. It's going to continue, but uh, when I take it, I'll just go by the human eye, my friend, and I'll go by the feel of the game. And You can't judge heart. That's all I ever say. Until they come out with a stat about heart, I'm all set with that stuff. Like this song says by Wing, that stuff to me is like a Japanese cowboy. We will talk to you in a bit when we get back here on the stretch running ESPN New Hampshire as we welcome on Gabriel Morenci. Go over the NCAA and NFL picks from the weekend and give us his take on Monday Night Football. So stay with us. We'll be back. Like a Japanese cowboy or a brother on skates.
1: Monday night, Thursday night, and the NFL Triple Letter. Nobody does the NFL like ESPN New Hampshire. <laughs>
2: Welcome back to Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. You hear Motorhead. You know it's time for Gabriel Morenci to join us, talk some football, and he's on with us right now. Gabe, how you doing, buddy?
1: Hey, what's rolling, Jimmy? How you doing?
2: Uh, not too good after all the uh, the backdoor covers and, and backdoor overs that took over this weekend. Did you notice that, Patton, man? Uh, like, you know, I, I I took a couple unders there, man, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, what the hell? What are they doing to me? What are they doing to me? No, no, no! You don't need to. You're up by twenty-three. You don't need to score right now, but that's the way it goes sometimes, and that's why Vegas is in business. Some interesting games over the weekend, my friend.
1: Yeah, you can never count. Uh, you can never count your buddy or hit refresh on the account until the games. The games are actually over, and yesterday was a frustrating day for me only because we had so many winners to start off with the day and upsets. Yeah, uh, but instead of just uh, um, taking our good fortune and moving on, we basically just sort of rolled everything over into the late games, which like most people end up doing. And uh, yeah, the four o'clock games didn't go as well as the one o'clock games,
3: of oh, course. Boy.
1: And unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, we can't uh, we can't undo what happened uh, at four o'clock, and you know, it's tough. That that's. That's that's the, the tough thing about being successful on a Sunday is is getting through the day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're really disciplined, you know, and you're up on the day, some people will stop or at least go go a little bit uh lighter throughout the rest of the day. Uh but most people generally will just play the entire <laughs> day as hardcore as they can and yep. wherever the chips fall they land.
2: <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me, uh, Gabe, I was I was in Vegas uh See, yeah, these are my college days. Must have been halfway through college. Uh which was the the, the stretched out six or seven years I spent at UMass Amherst. I I was on a doctor's plan, but I didn't get a doctor's degree, if you know what I mean. Uh but uh yeah, so I'm I'm coming back from San Diego driving cross country in Vegas. And the first night we're there, we go in, we've got about like between it was my ex-wife and I. We've got about I don't know, four hundred dollars to get us cross country. I mean, we're we're not looking good at all. We're like, what are we gonna do? We're like, all right, well, let's see what we can do. Maybe we can win it, and uh, we'll pay for our trip home. We go in first night, we win two grand at the blackjack table, and I'm like, let's get out of here, let's get out of here, let's get out of here. But this guy we're with, he's like, no, no, come on, let's we're all on a roll, let's do it, let's do. Yeah, and all the way back down to two hundred, we went. You got to know when to walk out. You just if you can have that discipline, and you're like, hey. I just cleaned house in the one o'clock. See you later. I'm going home.
1: Well, it's you know, that's that's the key because picking picking the winner is only really is only really half the battle. And it's it's a hard battle to actually to actually win in the first place. But then secondly, and it's always been one of my issues, is money management. <laughs> uh money management, uh, unit management and and understanding. Now generally the lesson is really Always bet the same amount on every game. Yep. Which you bet the same amount on every game. And, you know, if you're winning more than you're losing, you're going to show a profit. Now, you probably won't show the sexy profit that you would like uh, at times, but, you know, none of us do this. We all end up double clicking, triple clicking. <laughs> you know, or, look, I had a horrible one o'clock. I'm going to get it back at four o'clock. Or, hey, I had a great one o'clock. Let's roll it over uh, at four o'clock. And as you stated, things can go bad. Um, You know, there have been countless times this year uh, in a Las Vegas Super Contest where I ended up going two and three, maybe three and two, and I thought I'd be five and oh. You know, I do a segment every Monday called Who Ruined Your Sunday. Yeah. Yesterday at one point, I thought, man, I don't really even have anybody that's ruined my Sunday. I'm winning every bet I've made. Uh And then when it's all said and done, the Giants screwed me, the Panthers screwed me, the Bills screwed me. Um, you know the the um, the Steelers Giants game staying under the number was really frustrating. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be on the wrong side of a game, but when you're on the wrong side of the game, side and total, then that's pretty frustrating. Yeah. D-
2: do you ever think that Cam Newton's uh, lack of a tie would screw you? <laughs> No, well, you know, I don't know what's next. I mean, if, he, if his hotel room is
1: messy, is he going to get benched and finish, finish his milk with cereal tomorrow? Is is that, you know, what is this, pop water? You know, come on, man. Or, you know, is this, is this what it's come to? Like, if Rivera thinks that his team, you know, is going to respect him because he benched Cam Newton and caused an interception on the first damn play of the game, then he's an idiot, like – you know, even even the great Vince Lombardi wasn't as hardcore as people people think he was. Like I, you know, for Rivera to be picking his battles, and that's what it is. I think he's probably just frustrated with Cam as a whole, and and the tie was just one 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 of the ways to you know to take out some of his anger. I'm frustrated with Cam Newton due to his his lack of his apathy right, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. You know, we see. You know, I get it. You've been hit. I get it. You're upset that the league didn't throw, uh, you know, didn't throw a couple of personal fouls. But I'm talking to a lot of players about this, and they say, listen, if you're going to run around and you're going to run people over and you're as big as he is, you know, expect to get hit. And, you know, he's like the kid that just sort of took the ball and went home. Or, you know, it's almost like Newman. You know, he didn't from Seinfeld. He didn't. Uh, he didn't quit the post office. He just stopped delivering the mail. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what Ken Newton's doing. He's, he hasn't quit, but he's just sort of like, eh, you know, well, we're not in the, we're not going to the playoffs anyways. And I was thinking about it last night. I'm like, man, it's just Human. so unfair to the defense, yeah, dude. Like, really you're going is. out there. How many times did you see last night where he casually just threw the ball out of bounds? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, no, I'm not going to try to run for it. Screw that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna wait for this play to develop. It was almost like hot, 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 oh, 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 <laughs> this isn't looking good. Let me throw it out of bounds, quick, quick, three and outs, put the defense back out there. He's gotta realize he's not the only player on the team, yeah, you know it sucks for everybody, it's but not about you know him. you're you're only making it worse for the guys on your defense with your quick three and outs by not giving a crap.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. But, what- you know,
1: as far as his tie is concerned, I don't give a crap if he shows up naked. Like, really. <laughs> like, this, you know, like, honestly, it's 2016 going on 17. Like, you know, I'm, there, there's there's team rules that I would I could understand, uh, but whether he wears a freaking tie or not, I think is the least to Rivera's concerns right now. Yeah,
2: I'm with you. Now. You know, I'm wondering, and, and we'll probably never be able to know it, but, you know, I don't even know what the exact window was of time between when it was known that Anderson was starting. You know, and that uh, you know Vegas and all that, and people were able to see that if they had enough time to get in there and, and be like, bet the house on the Seahawks right now. Bet the. I'm wondering how many bets poured in in that little time sequence between when it was discovered that he was at least benched for one play there uh, on the Seahawks.
1: I don't think there were too many people that were dumb enough to take Carolina besides myself uh, for some uh, for some reason last night. And
2: and they played no really well no last week. It, don't kill yourself. They really they showed up last week. I
1: mean, they well, were... you figured you know eight eight and a half points is a lot of points. Yeah,
2: and these are rivals, so to speak. They have yeah, met a couple times in rivals. the playoffs.
1: It's nationally televised. Right. So it's sort of like tonight, as bad as the Jets are. You know, you don't expect that they're just going to quit. No. Uh, but it's tough. Cam Newton has quit before. It's a very, and Cam Newton is a, he's a modern NFL player in, in a good sense and a bad sense. In a sense, he's one of the few people with personalities. He's one of the few people who show emotion. You know, when things are going well for Cam Newton, he's fun to watch. He has fun on the field. Uh, but in like an NBA team that's suddenly down 18, they quit. Yep. You know, they they tap out. We see this. You know, if a game isn't going well in the NBA, how many times do you see in the NBA? Do you read the next day, or do you see on SportsCenter? There was a 26-point comeback in the NBA last night. Yeah. There was a 14-point comeback in the NBA last night. Hell, there's not even like eight-point comebacks. <laughs> like in college, we see it all the time. Oh, yeah. You know, it was Syracuse the other night nearly blew a 24-point lead. You know, we see it all the time in college. We saw it in the tournament last year. You know, Northern Iowa and Texas A&M, they came back from 13 down oh, yeah. with yep. a minute and a half left or whatever it was. You know, why? You don't see that in the NBA. Like, honestly, when, when, when do you ever see, oh, well, it was a big comeback last night? There's never comebacks in the NBA because they quit. Like, the players quit. The coaches quit. There's a culture of quitting. Well, it's not going that well. Hell, even Popovich, who's one of the best coaches in the league or best coaches ever, he does it. Yeah, yeah, hey, you know, I swear. You hey, watch Bet on the Spurs. If things aren't going well for them, you're screwed. <laughs> it's the Red Rocket Matt Bonner time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and he's like, well, whatever. It's a regular season game. What do I care? I've, I've, I've spoken to NBA coaches about this off the air, actually, and you know, displayed my." My wonder about why they quit. And they're like, no, nah, we don't quit. We don't quit. And I'm like, listen, I bet on all your games. You guys quit all the time. <laughs> and finally admits it's a long season.
3: <laughs> but, there I, it is.
1: But you know, I've found that, you know, you look Odell Beckham's like this. You know, there's a few flashy players that have sort of been in the league for a couple of years only who sort of have that NBA you know, superstar, me, me mentality. I'm not saying they're bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying Odell Beckham's not a bad guy. People say he's a good teammate, and yeah, there's a lot of drama around him, but he's not a selfish or he's not the type of guy that's unhappy if they won and he didn't get the ball. He's not a bad teammate, per se, but we see he's a drama queen. Yeah. You know, and you've got to manage him, and you've got to stroke his ego constantly. And it's a similar situation with Cam Newton. You know, instead of just sucking it up and realizing, you know what, this is a bad year, it sucks, it is what it is, but I make a lot of money, I was the MVP last year, and, you know, I've got to represent myself and the Carolina Panthers here. No, they just, they mail it in. Like, yeah. and that's what was so disheartening about it last night, and that's sort of the the MBification of the NFL right now, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, well, I think you're onto something there for sure. I think there's definitely a pattern there, and it's it's... It's more prevalent every year. Uh let's look at college football, Gabe, and obviously a lot of controversy around the the final results of the uh the playoffs and you know, should they go to six teams, should they go to eight? We've touched on this last week a bit. Uh but in the current formation, when all is said and done right now as we speak, I think they got it right. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I can't I can't argue um Ohio State I think Ohio State are getting a benefit of the doubt uh, as somebody that you know there was never really a debate whether they were going to get in uh, or not and considering how that Michigan game ended uh but you know they've got one loss so so I get it Michigan losing to Iowa you know that that left them on the outside looking in so you know as much as we want to complain Jimmy you're right ultimately I don't have a problem with it I you know I think that Washington was more deserving than Penn State you know, Penn State deserved credit um, for for coming back. Uh, you know, we're talking about a team that was—you know—they lost by thirty-nine to Michigan earlier this year. Yep. And it would have been laughable uh, to suggest that Penn State would win the Penn the, the, the Big Ten championship, uh, but they're a bunch of resilient kids. Those guys, and you know, they repeatedly—I remember earlier in the year they would get blasted, and then they would sort of come back and backdoor cover you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But or they would come back. We're talking about kids who came back. Look, you know, they could have pitched the tent against Wisconsin. You would have figured out it was a hell of a hell of a run. We're rebuilding the program. We made it to the championship game. But no, they're like, no, no, we're going to come back. We're going to win. And, you know, it was something I, I thought about. I actually hit the second half pretty hard of this football game. I was on, I was on Wisconsin, uh, but I knew that Penn State was the best football team in the country in the second half and specifically mm-hmm. the fourth quarter. I don't think anyone has the best like point differential in the fourth quarter than Penn State does this year. So you know, they came on late, but with that being stated, I think Washington, I think Washington being the one loss team that they are, taking care of business in the fashion that they did, blasting Washington State, and then knocking the crap out of Colorado in the fashion that they did. You know, I don't have a problem uh, with it. You look at Washington's non-conference schedule, and it was soft, man. Yeah, you know, They played, like, Portland yeah. State and stuff, right? Like, it, you know, it was soft, and it's definitely the softest uh, of the of the four teams. Uh, but without being stated, I think, you know, I don't think they're going to embarrass themselves. It's good news, bad news for Bama, uh, for Washington. They're in, but again, Bama. Uh, you know, Bama are fourteen and a half 14-and-a-half point favorite, so there's two schools of thought here. Alabama are going to beat the Cleveland Browns and that Alabama are unstoppable and <laughs> nobody's going to beat Alabama. And then the, the other school thought is the SEC isn't as good as it has been in past years. And we really don't know how good Alabama is because they're beating up on SEC teams mm-hmm. I would sort of go with the fact that Alabama is that damn good, Jimmy. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you. Like I, you know, I, Alabama's favorite against anyone that they play in the championship game. They're going to beat Washington, in my opinion. I like all uh, the 14, 14 and a half, we'll see where their number goes as the game approaches. I think it'll be a higher scoring game, And I, you know it's insane that we, I think we're going to end up actually, with a rematch of last year, because I think Clemson's going to upset Ohio State. Ohio State are laying three. I think Clemson match up well with them. Uh, And so I think we're looking at a a championship game rematch from last year, Clemson versus Alabama.
2: You know, I was thinking of you when uh, watching that Alabama game and as it unraveled there, and you were talking about that over-under being way too low, that 40, and you said straight out, and you said it a couple times when we talk about over-unders in Alabama, they'll cover that on their own, Jimmy. They'll cover that 40 easy on their own. And, and it's so true. I mean, they're that good that, you know, they're, they're going to make up for all that on their own. And just the way they dominated in a game, like, you look at Colorado, I man. I mean, Colorado is a pretty solid team, they're, you know? And they go into Washington. They lose. They get hammered by Washington. But Washington, I think, is not—I don't even think they're in that league. You know what I mean? I just think these te- like Alabama is in a league of their own right now. It, whether it was Washington, or Colorado, or Penn State, or Ohio State, or Clemson, whoever they face, I just think they're they're that much better than the rest of them.
1: Well, we saw we saw Washington when they played. You know, if there's listen, Stanford are kind of a down year this year, right? So right. You know, and the Ducks were down this year. UCLA were down this year. So if we go across the board in the in the Pac-12, who is actually legitimately really good football team this year? The USC Trojans, when it's all said and done, might be better than Washington, and they beat them. You know, they beat Washington, and they also beat Colorado. So you know, the USC Trojans, you know, got hot, and you know, are deserving of being a big time talked about football team right now, and they'll probably end up beating uh, Penn State in the Rose Bowl uh but Washington beat up on a lot of teams that were sort of down this year in the Pac-12 and the one team that they played with blue chip talent uh was the USC Trojans and they lost. Yeah. So, you know, we we see you know Gaskin, you know Gaskin is a is, is a speedy kid. How fast is he going to be suddenly against Alabama? You know, you look at Washington and they they have that big offensive line, they bully you. They're not going to be bullying Alabama. Um, you know, Browning has been great this year. Wow, well, is he going to be great against an Alabama defense as opposed to a Pac-12 defense? So that, you know, that's the beautiful thing about about the the playoffs, right? Or that's yeah. supposed to be the cool thing about bowl games. We're going to see how these conferences match up with each other. Uh, but you know, no one's gotten rich betting against Nick Saban this year. Jimmy. No. I'll tell you no. what. You know, or for and, a while, you know, you know. But Chris Peterson, you know, he's coaching big bowl games before with Boise State. Yeah. He's going to have to, you know, come up with the same sort of put all the chips down and and you know fake punts this and and that. He's got speed. He's got talent. And if there's one thing about Washington, they have shown to be pretty tough mentally this year. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of opportunities for them to choke, and they didn't. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him credit for that. But as you stated, I just think Alabama's on a different level. You can't get in front of Alabama right now, like. My initial reaction last night, immediately after the matchups were announced yesterday afternoon, I should say, uh, was Alabama wins like 48 to 30.
3: Yeah,
1: And I think, I think you know, you might be a little bit generous yep. to Washington here, but I'm thinking it's 48-17, and then they backdoored a little bit, put some points on the board. But you, we mentioned the totals, and it's been free money all year long, because Alabama, the perception is Alabama, they don't have an explosive offense, which is wrong. Secondly, there's a perception that Alabama's defense is suffocating, which is wrong right it isn't They make plays, but they'll give up plays,
2: but they also score and that's yeah, going mean, and that's, that's going to put the I points mean, up. we
1: talked about that this year they've yeah. scored like thirteen times fourteen times, yeah, I think they did they added another two or three. It was hard they to did. keep up the they other did day. they
2: added two the other day,
1: yeah, so I was up to fourteen on the season of the knots, they were calling it, uh, the non-offensive touchdowns, but the defensive or punt returns, et cetera. So exactly, every game they're getting seven or 14 points from the defense or special teams. Um, they average over 44 points a game, Jimmy, yet their totals were always in like 44. Yep. So you you, know, you have a case in which their offense, and it was exactly that the other day, the total was 40 and a half. <laughs> you know, they were at 49 yeah, by the half, Jimmy. Uh... <laughs> That was one of the easier ones. That was
2: easy. That was easy. I hear you, buddy. Well, listen, what are we looking at tonight? Let's get back to pro here. Monday Night Football, Colts and Jets. I mean, you know, when this thing was scheduled, it probably looked a little more appetizing. But Andrew Luck is back. It still doesn't really have much appeal to me. Uh, does it, Is this going to be a close game? Does anyone really care? What's your take on this game?
1: Well, the Indianapolis Colts uh, will care tonight because if they win, they're going to be in the first place tie. Uh, As bad as that division is, the fact is, six and six uh, puts you in first place uh, right now, and one of those crappy teams is going to make the playoffs, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. This isn't the college football rankings where the committee is (laughs) going to leave the Houston (laughs) Texans or the Colts (laughs) or the Titans out. You probably argue the Titans are the best of the bunch uh, (laughs) right now. Uh, You know, Indianapolis need to win this game, and I expect that they will. I think that the Jets, this is a theme this year in the NFL in which there's a lot of teams that aren't as good as their record um, is.
3: Right. And,
1: you know, we saw that yesterday with Miami and a six-game winning streak. They sort of got exposed. The New York Giants had a six-game winning streak, but they were beaten up on a lot of bad teams. They got exposed uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And as much as there's a lot of good teams that, that aren't, um, you know, there's a lot of teams with good records that aren't as good as the record says they are. There's a couple of teams that aren't as bad as the record says they are. Like, the Jets aren't a real, by definition, 3-8 and eight football team. You know, they're they're really not. They've got some talent. You know, if it's just, you know, the wheels have fallen off. It's been an unorthodox year. They've had a hard time managing the quarterback situation. It's gotten ugly. Uh, Bowles, Bowles did a great job last year, but he seems to kind of be like a rookie coach this year almost, like the sophomore slump. Uh, he's you know he's not handling the the media well. He's not handling the players well. Nothing's going right for the Jets this year. But I still think they're better than a three and eight team. I think it'll actually be an entertaining game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts secondary is so bad. Um, hell, their run defense isn't very good either. Um, and then conversely, you've got the Colts that are able to move the ball up and down the field. I think there's going to be some points put up on the board. I like the over in a football game, and I think the Colts win a close one only because Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he'll play well, but then he'll be Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll turn the ball over at a key time in the fourth quarter, and the Colts will find a way to win the game tonight. I don't think it's the best bet of the, uh, of the year by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I do like the Colts, and I do like the over in this game. And then right. the NBA tonight, we got a big one uh, with the Raptors and the, and the Cavaliers. Of course, Eastern Conference uh, Championship last year. The Raptors actually beat them twice. It won six games. Uh-huh. Uh, they played twice this year already, and uh, the Cavs won both games. Uh, once in overtime, and another time it came down to of the wires. They won by three and they won by four. The Raptors are riding a six-game win streak right now, coming off a 44-point win against the Hawks the other night. I think the Raptors get it done tonight against the Cavalier team that's lost three in a row as well.
2: All right, sounds good, my man. We're up against the clock. I appreciate it. Have a good one, Gabe. We'll talk to you on Friday, all right?
1: Always a pleasure, Jimmy.
2: All right, Gabriel Maranci, join us here in the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. We will be back.
1: You're listening to the Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy, right here on ESPN New Hampshire. The Apple Therapies. You're listening to the Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for the right time with Bomani Jones, only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. Sugar foot comedy,
2: we want to thank all our guests for a great show today. Thanks to Timmy Buttons back on the boards with me this week. Looking forward to it. Thank you to listening. The Stretch Run will be back tomorrow here on ESPN New Hampshire.
0: now for them to trade the pick. The fact remains that he should have just listened to me at the trade deadline.